This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The U.S.'s largest Protestant denomination, Southern Baptists, have had a good year with the Supreme Court's overturning of the Roe v. Wade abortion precedent. How Southern Baptists came to be involved in conservative politics to wield a virulently misogynist and homophobic agenda is a fascinating story, one that my guest Sarah Posner tells in her new investigation for The Nation. Sarah Posner is a reporting fellow with Type Investigations. Her extensive reporting and analysis on the religious right in Republican politics has appeared in The Nation, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The American Prospect, Rolling Stone, The New Republic, and many other publications. Her latest piece in The Nation is entitled The Southern Baptist Convention's Deal with the Devil. Welcome to the program, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Sonali. So for those of us who just are ignorant about the constellation of Protestant denominations in the United States, um, give us a sense of where Southern Baptists fit in. I mentioned they are the largest denomination. They're the lar- largest Protestant denomination, which also makes them the largest evangelical denomination. And as such, they really kind of set the tone and the theology for a lot of other evangelicals who don't necessarily belong to a denominational church. And when we hear the term Southern Baptist, does that mean that they're mostly located in the Southern states? No, they're located all over the country, but their roots are in the South. And the denomination was formed as a result of a split over slavery in which the Southern Baptist Convention was in favor of it. Where have Southern Baptists historically stood on things like reproductive rights and how do you view or how do you explain their uh, position today where they have basically given uh, or, or, you know, had their agenda on ending abortion really become synonymous with the Republican Party's agenda? What's the historical tracing there? Well, in the late 1970s, there were uh, a group of far-right figures within the denomination who set out to engage in what they called a conservative resurgence within the denomination. Um, The critics of it, the moderates and liberals who were forced out of the denomination as a result of the conservative resurgence, called it the fund call it the fundamentalist takeover. But basically what happened was there was a concerted effort to install far right leaders in positions of power within the denomination and within the denomination's many seminaries. And that effort was successful and coincided with the marriage of the religious right with the Republican party. So by the time that Ronald Reagan ran for his first uh, presidential term in 1980, the religious right had coalesced around the Republican Party and the the, uh, the conservative resurgence brand of the Southern Baptist Convention was right at the center of that. And as soon as that happened, they started radicalizing their position on abortion. So that, you know, going from the late 1970s or early 1980s, where it was they would they were in favor of it if if the uh, health or life of the mother was in danger in cases of incest or rape. They progressed from there to wanting it banned outright, 
to stating that they considered it to be a genocide. This is a denomination that's not, uh, they're not literalist, right, in terms of the Bible. I mean, there are, it's sometimes hard to keep track of the very, the many, um, positions and the many denominations and the positions that they take. So where does this, where does Southern Baptists fit on interpreting the Bible? Because you, you know, we have this image of, well, the anti-gay evangelical who quotes passages from the Bible or the home of the misogynist uh, uh, churchgoer who thinks women belong in a particular place, but in, in quote from the Bible, where does Southern Baptists stand on that? Or do they have a modern interpretation? The, the, what they call the inerrancy of the Bible or the literalism of the Bible was what was at issue in the conservative resurgence. So the, the architects of the conservative resurgence contended that the problem that the denomination was having was that there were people within it who did not believe that the Bible, as they read it, was 100% true. And that's what led to the, the firing and the marginalizing of seminarians and pastors who disagreed with that view. So it's their, it was their contention that they were protecting the 100% literally true aspect of the Bible that led to their extreme positions on abortion and LGBTQ rights, because they believe that that is the literal interpretation of the Bible. And not inconsequentially, their views on gender roles are also informed by this supposed literal interpretation of the Bible, meaning that they they uh, adhere to a theology that says that a wife must be submissive to her husband and that he is the head of the household. Is this something that is just um, kind of uh, unsaid and taken for granted, or do they spell it out, the position of the wife in the household? They spell it out. They actually amended their what's called their um, faith message in the 1980s to more explicitly spell that out. And one of the um, uh, contentious issues within the denomination right now um, is whether, you know, a small minority of people within the denomination believe that women should be allowed to be preachers, for example. Um, But the position of the denomination is that no, women should not be allowed to be preachers, nor should they ever teach from the pulpit. So uh, the regressive views on women and their roles both in the family and within the church um, remain very intensely baked into um, their theology and their politics. And even though there are people who have left the denomination over these views, they remain incredible. Like Jimmy Carter, for example, former President Jimmy Carter is a very well-known example of that. But these views remain very entrenched in the denomination. Tell me about Paul Pressler, one of the leading figures who helped uh, push the church into a more conservative direction starting in the 1980s. So Pressler was not a pastor or a theologian or a seminarian. He was a state court judge in Texas. Uh, And he was a Southern Baptist layman who was good friends with Paige Patterson, who was a very prominent and influential theologian. And they were the architects of the conservative takeover. They sort of planned this way that they would take over the, they would seize control of the, um, the election process at the annual meeting so that they could ensure that their conservative choices 
were picked for uh, leadership positions within the denomination and its seminaries. Um, and he was a really throughout the 1980s and 90s and even into the 2000s, he was a very important influential figure, not only for Southern Baptists, but for evangelicals and for the Republican Party and the religious right as a whole. Uh, George H.W. Bush uh, had nominated him for a government post uh, during his uh, term as president. Um, but then in uh, 2017, um, Pressler became the subject of a lawsuit uh, by a man who charged that he had uh, basically groomed him and raped him uh, repeatedly over a multi-decade period after meeting him in a Bible study that Pressler um, frequently conducted for teenage boys and men. Uh, and additional men came forward in the course of that lawsuit uh, and Pressler is now not only a leading figure still in the, you know, known historically as a leading figure in the conservative resurgence, but um, he is also uh, an important figure in the sex abuse scandal that is engulfing the denomination at the moment. And that's a really important part of this because the flip side of the pushing of misogynist, patriarchal, homophobic politics through the Republican Party is that this denomination has very prominent figures who are themselves guilty of some of the very things that they accuse their opponents of. And that hypocrisy is, of course, sort of screaming out to be told. Right. Now, just to be clear, uh, Pressler has denied the sex assault allegations sure. against yeah. him. Um, but the lawsuit, uh, the civil lawsuit uh, that was brought against him, it, you know, proceeds. So, you know, that remains to be uh, sorted out in the courts. Um, but he is not the only figure, leadership figure in the denomination who has been um, identified both by reporting, um, particularly by um, the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News, who together conducted a groundbreaking investigation of sex abuse in the um, Southern Baptist Convention that came out in 2019 and had prompted the Southern Baptist Convention to hire its own um, outside consulting firm to investigate um, uh, sex abuse within the denomination. And what the, all of that reporting found was that uh, sex abuse was very widespread within the denomination and that covering it up at the highest levels um, was was done, you know, with with impunity, um, so that people who had been victimized by pastors or other church employees never got accountability. They were vilified for even coming forward, and the denomination moved people around. If they were, you know, accused of sex abuse in one church, they they knew about it, but they moved them around to another church, and they even kept um, a secret database of sex offenders. Um, in their churches at their headquarters, but wow. they never made it public. Um, so these were some of the um, these were some of the really explosive allegations coming out of that um, report. And now, the denomination is under investigation by the Department of Justice. Um, so this there's still a lot that needs to be uncovered and exposed. But all of this was happening alongside the Southern Baptist Convention's involvement in politics and pressing of these uh, patriarchal and misogynist and homophobic uh, political agendas.
What about the uh, leader today, uh, president of the denomination, Albert Mueller Jr., who you also write about, you open your story with him. Who is he and how responsible is he, not only for any potential cover-ups of the sordid deeds uh, within the uh, denomination, but also pushing the misogynist homophobic agenda? So Moeller is the president of the denomination's flagship seminary. So he's not the president of the denomination itself. Um, the, 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 the members of the denomination who attend the annual meeting, they elect the president um, and, and they elected a new president this year. Um, but Moeller is probably a more influential figure than almost any of the other presidents of the denomination have been because of his status as a leading theologian and um, his status as the president of Southern Seminary, which is, like I said, their flagship seminary. He's a prolific writer. He has a podcast and radio show. Uh, he speaks very frequently at conservative conferences. So he's a very key figure in shaping Southern Baptist views of both their theology in the Bible and of politics. Um, so I don't know that he had a role in the cover-up of the sex abuse, but he has definitely played a key role, like I said, in shaping, um, in shaping Southern Baptist views of political issues, particularly abortion. Um, for example, at the most recent convention, which took place this spring in Anaheim, California, um, he endorsed, you know, the criminal prosecution of women who uh, who seek abortions. Okay, that is a really important point to um, focus on. So banning abortion via the Supreme Court and now, of course, state by state, the rights are, are, are falling in, in particularly states led by Republicans. Banning abortion was step one is prosecuting women who have abortions, maybe in the future miscarriages. Is that the next? Is that what's next on, on the on the Baptist Southern Baptist Convention's radar? Well, I think that there. So uh, Moeller was speaking at the annual meeting, which took place between the time that the Dobbs opinion leaked from the Supreme Court and we had the actual opinion come out at the, uh, in June. So he was speaking sort of in the time period between those two occurrences, um, but he was thrilled with the leaked opinion, which was you know, basically identical to the actual one. Um, and so he was asked by somebody in a Q&A session, uh, well, you know, so what does this mean? Do you think not just, you know, doctors could be prosecuted, but women too? And he allowed that you know, miscarriages might be a different kind of circumstance, um, but he did indicate that prosecuting women who seek abortions should be something that the legal authorities should pursue. Um, and, you know, he went on to praise the Dobbs, the actual final Dobbs opinion, and pointed to it as evidence that there had been um, a resurgent conservative majority on the Supreme Court. So it was almost like he was thinking of the stacking of the Supreme Court with right-wing justices as being somewhat analogous to the conservative resurgence in his own denomination. And that, you know, these kinds of conservative takeovers of institutions are a good thing. 
has the misogynist approach, this idea that, that you know, women's bodies need to be controlled, they need to be submissive to their husbands, has that tended to go hand in hand with homophobic attitudes, with the anti-gay tirades, anti-trans approaches, uh, those intertwined? Yes, they're completely intertwined because it's all based on a theology that at its core says that God ordained men and women and certain gender roles for men and women. And so any deviation from that, say if you're a man who's gay or you're trans, that's considered a deviation from these God-ordained gender roles and God's plan for the family, um, God's design, they call it sometimes God's design for men and women, or biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. These are the phrases that they would use to describe it. So obviously that plays into their views on LGBTQ rights and women's rights even beyond, uh, even beyond um, uh, abortion rights, but abortion rights obviously has been the target of their public policy and legal um, agenda. What about the congregants? How do they, you know, have the allegations around the sexual abuse rocked people's faith? Is the scene as a growing denomination in the United States? I mean, give me a sense of the people who form the, you know, the rank and file of the church. Well, its membership roles have decreased over, um, a, I guess, maybe probably a 10-year period. So whereas it used to be closer to 16 million members, they have 14 million members. But I think that that doesn't tell us the whole story of the Southern Baptists' uh, influence in evangelical life because a lot of evangelicals, they sort of, you know, their, their relationship with a particular church is sometimes a little bit fluid. Um, I've met a lot of evangelicals who go to multiple churches. Maybe one is a Southern Baptist church and one is a non-denominational church. And I think also because of someone like Moeller's uh, status within evangelicalism, his views permeate beyond uh, Southern Baptist. So I think that's a really important thing to understand when you hear stories about the Southern Baptist membership roles decreasing. Um, I think that they still continue to have a lot of influence in evangelical life and within the Republican Party. That said, um, I do think that the sex abuse scandal has um, maybe not rocked the faith of a lot of people, although it's certainly rocked the faith of some people. Um, it, it has proven to be very uh, controversial. However, as it should, as it should, obviously, right? But I think that there are a lot of rank and file Southern Baptists who are very committed to their faith and to the denomination and might see some of this as the, you know, the actions of some bad actors, or um, some might even see it as, you know, people, you know, were tempted by satanic or dynamic forces. And, you know, they, they did something bad, but it's not, you know, something that's, um, systemically um, widespread within the denomination. Uh, so I think there's definitely a mix. Uh, there have been some prominent people to have left the denomination in the wake of, of the sex abuse scandal, uh, including you know, Russell Moore, who uh, was um, the head of their public policy arm in Washington, DC, um, and was 
he left, but he was also kind of forced out because uh, his views were not, uh, he was considered too liberal, even though he is by no stretch <laughs> of the imagination a liberal. Um, and so I think that right now, many of the people who take issue with either um, these patriarchal views or don't take issue with the patriarchal views, but are extremely dismayed by the handling of the sex abuse scandal, most of them have left and now there's kind of like a hardening where there's an even further to the right um, force within the denomination that's trying to push it even further to the right. Wow. Were there people who were upset by the, you know, we didn't really get to talk too much about uh, how some of these leaders influence presidents, but uh, in particular with the embrace of Donald Trump, somebody who is, you know, antithetical to morals in general, but specifically yes. the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, was there, did, did people leave disillusioned over that? Well, it's thought that some of the loss of membership in recent years did have something to do with that. Officially, the denomination did not support Donald Trump, but many of its prominent um, figures did. He had the support, the very public support of some well-known big name megachurch pastors, including Robert Jeffress, who pastors a very influential Southern Baptist church in Dallas um, and is a, just a very prominent uh, supporter of Trump, both in evangelical circles and, and, you know, in other conservative venues like Fox News, uh, for example. Um, and I think that that was part of the, uh, a big part of the rift with Russell Moore. But remember, you know, Russell Moore was the one who ended up leaving or, you know, in the view of some people being forced, essentially forced out um, and leaving the denomination altogether. Um, so even though he got a lot of coverage in the mainstream media, because I think the mainstream media is always looking for that story of like, well, who's the dissident who's fighting back against the Southern Baptist conventions, like many leaders support of Trump or support of these political issues, these kind of Christian nationalist uh, political issues. Um, but within the denomination, you know, obviously he's the one who's no longer there and, you know, the hardliners are still in place. Right. Sarah, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I could keep talking to you, but there's so much to discuss. Um, uh, people can certainly find your article in the latest issue of The Nation, and we'll post a link to it from our website as well. Good luck to you, and thank you so much. Thank you. My guest has been Sarah Posner, who is an investigative journalist and a reporting fellow with Type Investigations. She's done extensive reporting and analysis on the religious right in Republican politics. Her latest article in The Nation is called The Southern Baptist Convention's Deal with the Devil. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Are You With Sonali.